0: Over the last few weeks, we have taken a pause from our year-long study in the Gospel of John to uh, enter into a new sermon series here titled, You Lost Me. In this series, we are looking at some of the, the common reasons people give for, for why they walk away from the Christian faith. Why they turn their back on, on the Bible's truths and, and a relationship with Jesus and instead turn to the things of this world. How sad it is when we see people abandon the truth and reject faith in Jesus. And, and so we're looking at some of these common reasons. So far, we've looked at the question of, you know, is Christianity and church boring? And we, we've asked the question, is it, is it safe to doubt? Is it okay to, to come and have doubts and wrestle with questions and not necessarily have all the answers? Last week, we, we looked at the question of, is, is Christianity too exclusive whether you're talking about the, the message of salvation in one way through Jesus Christ, or whether you're talking about our, our views on politics or our embrace of people in our culture. These are all reasons people give for choosing to walk away from the church. And as we're hopefully answering, we're, we're trying to show that that these questions, these reasons are, are not legitimate in, in most cases. And in fact, as Christians, we have the truth. We have good reasons to, to be engaged with the body of Christ, the church. We have the joy of fellowship together and, and studying God's word and his truth together. And all of this, as we so often proclaim here at Lakes Free, is what leads to life and life to the full. That's our, that's our desire. That's God's desire for us that we would know real life, true life found in a, in a relationship with him. And so that's really the, at the, the heart of this series as we're trying to give a defense, a, a reason for the hope that we have as God's people, and, and do that with, with winsomeness, with gentleness, with respect to hopefully address some of these challenges that we face in our world and our culture today. One of the biggest challenges that Christianity faces in our culture today is, is the question of whether or not Christianity is anti-science. Have you ever heard that one before, friends? Christianity is anti-science. Now, this is probably, out of all the issues we're going to look at, this is probably the top reason why many people have abandoned the Christian faith. This perceived idea that Christianity is anti-science. And today, we're going to look at this question. We're going to to examine, is this really the case? Is Christianity uh, anti-science? Or, as I commented earlier in communion, is science really a, a vehicle that leads us to the truth of our creator God? This is an important topic for us this morning. And today, while there are a number of issues we could talk about, in regards to this question of science and Christianity, faith and science, today what I really want to focus on is what I think is oftentimes at the heart of this question, at the heart of this debate. And this is really a debate between two worldviews. The the worldview of naturalism, the, the naturalistic worldview that says there is no God, there is no supernatural... And the worldview of theism, theism being the belief in God, the idea that there is a God, there is a creator. He has spoken and revealed himself to us. And this really is the heart of the debate. Naturalism versus theism. And so we're going to look at these two worldviews this morning. This worldview of naturalism that we're going to be talking about this morning is today the dominant worldview In Western culture. It is the worldview that is promoted in our schools. It is championed by our media. It is popularized through the entertainment industry. It is the the dominant viewpoint of the world today that there is no God, there is no supernatural. The, The universe is simply the collection of a whole series of random chance events in the history of our cosmos. Now, this morning, what we're going to ask is, is the question, is, is this the case? And, and, and what does the evidence point to, right? Are, are we simply the product of a whole series of random chance events, or are we the handiwork of a master designer, a creator god? Over the years, I've shared with you how, uh, in addition to my ministry here at Lakes Free, I often speak around the world on Christian apologetics. And, And apologetics is giving a defense of why we believe what we believe. This, this topic is one of the topics that I often lecture on when I'm traveling outside of Lakes Free Church, and so this morning, I'm going to share with you a, a version, a glimpse of some of what I often teach on when I'm out uh, lecturing in colleges and universities and other churches at apologetics conferences. So, so this is going to be a little bit different from our typical sermon format here on Sunday mornings, but I hope and pray that what we'll find is that we can walk away further equipped and even more confident in the truths of what we believe as followers of Christ and and in the biblical worldview. I shared uh, recently how my father and I once had the opportunity to lecture throughout uh, New Zealand and Australia. It was an incredible experience. We were teaching in churches and universities throughout both of those countries. And on our way back from Australia, after having been there for a month, uh, we were flying back to the United States out of Sydney, Australia. And we were sitting on our plane, waiting for our plane to take off for what's one of the longest flights in the world. It's a 15-hour flight across the Pacific Ocean. And uh, as we're sitting in our seats, the plane was quickly filling up. And, you know, it's always interesting to see who you're going to end up sitting next to. Uh, especially for 15 hours well we sit down and as we're sitting there waiting for the plane to begin taxing off to the runway uh, a a woman comes and she sits down next to us and we start engaging in conversation with this lady just you know making small talk getting to know her and uh, my dad he asked her he said well tell us what are you doing going to the United States and she said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a professor here at one of the universities in Australia. And I've been invited to go to the United States and lecture in some of the universities on the East Coast. And, and my dad said, wow, well, that's really fascinating. What are you going to be lecturing on? And, and she said, well, the, the title of my lecture is Evolution, Ecology, and the Universal Brotherhood of All Things. Well, when she said that, I literally turned to the window and started chuckling to myself. I mean, she had no idea who we were, and I was just thinking, man, God sure has a sense of humor, right? And, uh, and so my dad, you know, he said, well, wow, that sounds really fascinating. Could, could you tell us a little bit about what do you mean by that? Evolution, ecology, the universal connectedness of all things. And, and, and she went on to explain to us what is known as the theory of Darwinian evolution, her naturalistic worldview that that described the reality that 13.8 billion years ago this universe exploded into existence and and then about three and a half billion years ago The earth was just a a large ocean of nauseous chemicals bubbling away and all of a sudden out of these non-inorganic chemicals uh, uprose an amino acid and and that amino acid ultimately gave rise to the first single cell living organism And then she went on for about 15 minutes to explain how all life in the world evolved from this common animal Ancestor, this first single cell of slimy algae, and on the screen behind me, you can see this, this picture. This is known as Darwin's tree of life. It's the idea of common descent that all living things in the world evolved from a common ancestor, the first single cell of slimy algae, which evolved out of the inorganic soup in our primordial oceans. And it was a fascinating time listening to her explain this naturalistic worldview of how all living things evolved from this common ancestor. Now, after she had gone on explaining this, uh, this theory for a number of minutes, she, she finally stopped and she said to my dad and I, well, tell me, what have you guys been doing here in Australia? <laughs> and my dad said, well, that's an interesting question. We've actually been here doing the same thing that you're going to America to do. And she says, wow, that's fascinating. You you mean you've been here lecturing? And my dad said, yeah, we've been lecturing in universities and churches and conferences throughout New Zealand and Australia. And she says, wow, that's really fascinating. What have you guys been lecturing on? And my dad said, well, our topic was the case for creation, revelation, and God's one-way path to salvation. Well, friends, you should have seen the look on this lady's face. I I don't know if she thought he was serious or not, but let me just say this. It was really an interesting flight. You know, 15 hours, the plane was full. She had nowhere to go. (laughs) And we had a great conversation with her for that, that whole time. But it was really interesting to me because when this woman found out that we were Christians, the very first thing she said to us and let me know if you've ever heard this one before. She said, Do you know what the problem is with you Christians? You guys ever heard that before? She says, The problem with you Christians is you just have faith. How many of you have ever heard that one before? Friends, do you know that this is probably one of the most common critiques of Christianity in our world today? The idea that as Christians, we just have faith. And when we're critiqued with this, or what I would call a caricature, when we're caricatured with this idea, what people in our culture really mean is that as Christians, we simply have blind faith. That we're just taking a leap of faith, hoping or wishing that all of this is true, but really it's just simply naive, blind faith. But as I explained to this woman on the plane that day, as Christians, we we don't put our hope in a blind faith. This isn't a naive wishing that this is true kind of thing. No, Christianity is about looking at all of the evidence, making a rational exploration of all of the evidence, all of the claims for the biblical worldview... And then walking confidently in the direction that the evidence leads. That's what Christian faith is really about. It's about walking confidently in the direction the evidence leads. And as I shared with this woman on the plane that day, and as I've shared with many people all over the world, the reality is, friends, every single person in the world today has faith. You know that, right? We all have faith. The the question isn't whether or not you have faith. The real question is, what are you putting your faith in and does or is what you're putting your faith in a valid and reasonable place to put that faith? Does it have a, a valid and reasonable basis for you putting your trust in it, right? But we all have faith. As I shared with the woman on the plane that day, I asked her, I said, ma'am, you know, we're, we're about to fly 15 hours over the Pacific Ocean. I, I said to her, have you ever met the pilot who's going to be flying our plane today? She said, no. I said, no, you've never met the pilot? You you don't know if if, if he's qualified? You're you're about to entrust a man you've never met, you've never known anything about his background, his credentials, his experience. You're about to trust a man who's going to lead us 15 hours over the Pacific Ocean? I said, wow, you sure have a lot of faith. And she said, I see your point. See, friends, we all have faith, and we all exercise faith all the time. The question is not a matter of whether or not you have faith, but rather, what are you putting your faith in? This is the real question that we need to examine this morning. Now, when we talk about the worldview of naturalism, where did this whole worldview come from, this naturalistic worldview that says there is no God, there is no supernatural, the, the universe is simply the, the, whole, uh, uh, the, the result of a whole series of random chance events? Where did this idea come from? Well, in the 19th century, modern-day philosophers and scientists declared that God is dead. God is dead. You may have seen that famous quote by the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. God is dead. And, and, and when the modern-day philosophers in the 19th century, the, the modern-day scientists of the 19th century declared that God is dead, they, they weren't saying literally that God has died, But what they were saying is, is as human beings, we have no more need for God or the supernatural or special revelation to explain to us the mysteries of the universe. We have now come to a place where human knowledge, human wisdom, human understanding has grown so exponentially that we're now understanding the way the world works and, and, and all of what were once mysteries. And so we no longer have to appeal to, to gods and fairies and supernatural beings to make sense of the things in this world. We can now discern and explain these things for ourselves. And so in the 19th century, modern man said that that God does not exist. God is dead. We don't need God. Science is adequate to explain all reality. And so this is where the worldview of naturalism and then ultimately the worldview of humanism arose from. Humanism is the logical progression of naturalism because, again, if there is no God and if man has evolved out of the slimy algae and man is the pinnacle of the evolutionary order, then there is nothing higher in the universe than man. And that's what the philosophy of humanism is that man is the pinnacle of the universe. And so, this is where these two worldviews came from. But it's important that we understand something, friends. Modern-day scientists and philosophers never actually disproved the existence of God. What they did is they said simply this, since we cannot put God into our finite three-dimensional box of science, since we cannot observe God and experiment with God, then God must not exist. And so what they did is they actually ruled out God a priori before the fact God does not exist. We can't observe him. We can't experiment with him. So God obviously does not exist. Now let's ask the question, well, where did we come from? Now, friends, understand this. When you rule out the possibility of a creator God, and then you ask the question, where did we come from, you have at that point point, only one possible answer, and that is that life is simply the product of a whole series of random chance events in the history of our cosmos. There's no other option. We're either the product of an intelligent designer, a creator, or we're the product of a whole series of random chance events. There's only two possibilities. In fact, you can't even think of a third possibility this morning. And so what happened is, is when modern man ruled out the possibility of God, it left them so left them with only one possible answer. Well, obviously we're here, and so obviously we must be the result of a whole series of random chance events. Now, you might be thinking to yourself this morning, well, Jason, why does this even matter? I mean, who cares whether a person believes in the naturalistic worldview or a theistic worldview? I mean, what difference does it make? Well, friends, it's important to understand today what a culture thinks and believes about God what a person's philosophic worldview is will have profound implications on a culture. And do you wonder today how our culture got to where we are with the contention and the divisiveness and, and, and the rise of cancel culture, right? Where, where, how did we get here? Well, friends, it stems from our culture's embrace of the naturalistic worldview, If you say that there is no God, there is no supernatural, that that life is simply the result of a whole series of random chance events, then then that logically gives rise to the philosophy of secular humanism. Humanism is the belief that all life has evolved and man is at the pinnacle of the evolutionary order. There's nothing higher in the universe than man, man is supreme. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. If you say man is supreme and there is no God, then you have to ask the question, well, who determines what is true? Who determines what is good? Who determines what is moral, right and wrong? If there's no higher authority than man, right, well, well then man determines those things for himself. And so this is why humanism always gives rise to the philosophy of relativism relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth truth is simply subjective and relative what's true for you is true for you what's true for me is true for me and both of our truths are equally valid and relevant why because there's no greater authority than than you or i we we're the highest authority man there's nobody above us to define truth for us. There is no God, right? So so man determines what is true. And this is why relativism then always gives rise to the philosophy of pluralism. Because if truth is simply subjective and relative, then, then obviously all truths must be equally valid and relevant. Right? Because who's to say that your truth is any better than my truth? There is no judge or arbiter of truth. There's nothing higher than man. So, so truth is relative and all truths are equally valid. And this pluralistic worldview then always gives rise to what I call politically correct tolerance. And this is what we see happening in our culture today. Politically correct tolerance says that you have to uncritically accept all people in the areas of belief, practice, and lifestyle. And if you don't uncritically accept all people in the area of belief, practice, and lifestyle, you'll be given the label of intolerant. And, and to be labeled intolerant in our culture today is the worst label anybody could give you, right? But, but why are we supposed to uncritically accept all people? It's because there is no such thing as absolute truth, absolute right and wrong, Nobody's truly defined for us the way that we're supposed to live. And again, because there is no God to make those determinations for us, we can choose to live any way that works for us. And then this politically correct tolerance always ultimately gives rise to what I describe as the oppression of dissenting voices. How dare you criticize somebody else for their personal subjective belief system? for their personal choice and how they want to live their lives. You see, friends, how we got to where we are today and, and the rise of cancel culture today is simply the logical progression of the naturalistic worldview working itself out when you deny the reality of a creator God. And it's this reason why we see conservative Christians in our culture increasingly under attack today, Right? It's because conservative Christians dare to proclaim that there is a God who has spoken, who has revealed truth for us, who has told us what is right and what is wrong. And when we live to honor that, that worldview will dramatically butt up against the prevailing relativism of our humanistic, naturalistic culture today. This is how we got to where we are. But, but this morning, it's not just important that we understand philosophically how we got to where we are, but, but I want to ask the question this morning, what is the actual scientific evidence, right? I mean, it, it, does the evidence point to this naturalistic worldview that I've been describing, or does the evidence better point us to the reality of a creator, a, a designer god? And, and so I think it's important that we examine the evidence, And here's what I want you to understand this morning before we begin looking at this this evidence. The sad reality of this whole debate is that naturalism is a 19th century philosophy that has been totally destroyed by 20th and 21st century science. Friends, I believe people don't hold to this naturalistic worldview today because the scientific evidence is so overwhelming No, they hold to the naturalistic worldview because it is morally comfortable. It allows them to go on living their lives any way they choose because ultimately, under a naturalistic worldview, we are not accountable to anybody. There is no higher moral authority than than us as humans. And, And so again, we need to look at what the evidence shows. And I believe, friends, the evidence points to the fact that we are not simply accidents evolved out of slimy algae, but we are the handiwork of a master designer, a creator God. Now, as we begin looking at the evidence this morning, and again, we're just going to have time to look at this briefly, it's important that we first understand both the advocates of naturalism and the proponents of theism have the same scientific evidence, Okay, understand that, friends. We're all looking at the same evidence. We're all looking at the same natural world. The, the question isn't whether or not one group has different evidence from the other. The question is, as we look at the evidence, how do you interpret the evidence? And does the evidence better fit a theistic model or a naturalistic model? And, and then the follow-up question is, is it more logical, rational, and scientific to believe that the universe and life and everything that we see in the world is simply the product of a whole series of random chance events, or rather, that we are the handiwork of a creator. So let's examine some of this evidence this morning. When I'm talking to my atheistic friends or, or people who have embraced this naturalistic worldview, I usually like to start all the way back in the beginning. The the question of how did the universe begin? Right? I mean, that's a pretty important question, right? How did the universe begin? Now, the worldview of naturalism is premised upon the idea that the universe began in what is called the Big Bang. Right? I'm sure you're familiar with that concept, the Big Bang, that that the universe exploded into existence. And here's the thing. Scientists today are basically unanimous on the point that the universe had a beginning. All the best scientific evidence today points to the fact that the universe exploded into existence at a finite point in time. That's hardly even debated today anymore. Scientists acknowledge the universe had a beginning, but the question is, how did the universe begin? See, the naturalistic worldview says that 13.8 billion years ago, there was nothing. Just imagine that, nothing. Nothing. And then all of a sudden, blam! Nothing exploded. And out of nothing came everything. All the galaxies, all the stars, all the planets, planet Earth, the ocean, the mountains, the animals. Everything in the universe exploded into existence out of nothing. Now friends, you have to ask yourself some basic questions here. Number one, how does nothing explode And number two, how does everything in the universe come from nothing? Five years ago, I was out at UC Berkeley with my friend Sean McDowell, and we were there for a week holding a series of apologetic events on campus. And, and one of the things that we did is we engaged in a number of dialogues with, with atheists and people of other religious backgrounds, and, and we invited the public to come and attend these dialogues with us. One of these dialogues was with an atheist. I can't recall if he was a professor there or if he was part of the, one of the atheist societies there in Northern California, but we had a dialogue with this atheist, and in the course of our dialogue, he started sharing this naturalistic worldview in regards to the origin of the universe. And I just politely interrupted him. I said, sir, let me ask you two questions. I said, first, can you explain to me how does nothing explode? He just kind of looked at me for a moment with a blank stare. And I said, okay, that, that is tricky. Let me ask you the follow-up question. How does everything in the universe come from Nothing. And this atheist, he was a PhD, he was a PhD atheist. He said, well, Jason, we have to assume by faith that somehow this took place. I said, faith? You have to assume by faith? I thought we were here to talk about the scientific evidence see, friends, what you, underst- what you quickly discover as you explore the actual evidence for things like the origin of the universe is that the naturalistic worldview is based on a whole series of huge faith assumptions, that, that nothing can explode, that everything could come from nothing. Friends, there- there's no scientific explanation for how this happened. But but they simply assume that that this happened, and they assume that by faith, because their naturalistic worldview is dependent on this idea. See, the the reality is, as we look at the actual evidence for the origin of the universe, you can begin to understand why people like Arno Penzis, who, who today is one of the world's leading scientists... Okay, Arnold Penzis, a PhD, Nobel Prize winner. He says, the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the first five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. This guy's one of the world's leading astronomers today. He, he says, all the best evidence we have is exactly what I would have predicted if all I had to go on was what God's Word has been telling us for thousands of years. See, friends, again, is it more logical, rational, scientific to believe that the universe exploded into existence out of nothing by chance, or does it make more sense to believe that the cosmos is the handiwork of a master designer, a creator? A a, a second issue I often like to explore with people who have embraced this naturalistic worldview is the question of the origin of life. How did the first life come into existence, right? And the worldview of naturalism is based on a hopelessly illogical premise, the idea of spontaneous generation. Spontaneous generation is the idea that life can spontaneously, poof, arise from non-living matter. And the naturalistic worldview is premised upon this very idea. Naturalistic scientists say that three and a half billion years ago, the, the earth was just a large cauldron of nauseous chemicals bubbling away. Blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, poof, up rose an amino acid. Blub, blah, blah, poof, up rose another amino acid. These amino acids got together and formed peptides and polypeptides, ultimately leading to RNA, which evolved into DNA, which ultimately gave rise to the first single cell living organism. All by chance, isn't that amazing? It's this idea known as spontaneous generation, that life can spontaneously, poof, arise from non-living matter. Now, friends, this has actually been a widely held view for over 2,000 years, going back to the ancient Greek philosophers who first taught it, that life could arise spontaneously from non-living matter. People actually used to believe this. People today still believe this. But this is an idea that was refuted conclusively over 150 years ago by a man named Louis Pasteur. You might know the name Louis Pasteur. He's known as the father of modern-day biology. If you look in any biology textbook today, whether university or high school level, you'll find right away in the very first chapter either a whole section or a chapter on Louis Pasteur, one of the most important scientists of all time, the father of modern-day biology. And Louis Pasteur, 150 years ago in his laboratory in Paris, France, once and for all time scientifically disproved the idea that life could arise spontaneously from non living matter. He called it the law of biogenesis. The law of biogenesis life only comes from life, it does not come from non living matter. In 1864, Louis Pasteur stated, never will the doctrine of spontaneous generation recover from the mortal blow of this simple experiment. And friends, do you know Louis Pasteur was right? To this day, to this day, the scientific community has no explanation for how life could spontaneously, poof, come into existence from non-living matter. Even though the whole naturalistic worldview is premised upon this idea, there's literally no scientific evidence for how this could happen. Just to show you what a problem this is for the naturalistic worldview, a number of years ago, PBS spent millions of taxpayer dollars producing a seven-week series titled Evolution to, to convince the American public that evolution is the best explanation for the origin of life. Richard Hutton, who was the producer of this PBS series, in a Washington Post online forum was asked by somebody, why didn't you deal with the issue of the origin of life and biogenesis? And Richard Hutton said this, there are open questions and controversies, and the fights can be fierce. Just a few of them, the origin of life. There's no consensus at all here. Lots of theories, little science. That's one of the reasons we didn't cover it in the series. The evidence wasn't very good. Are you kidding me? You spent millions of taxpayer dollars to convince the public that evolution, the naturalistic worldview is the best explanation for the origin and diversity of all life and yet you didn't even deal with the starting point? Friends, again... We all have the same evidence. The question is, what does the evidence point to? Is it more logical, rational, and scientific to believe that all of life evolved by chance or that life is the result of a divine creator? The issue of life uh, has another problem when it comes to DNA, the foundational building blocks of life deoxyribose nucleic acid, you've seen it depicted in the spiraling double helix. DNA is foundational to all life. Every living organism in the world is made up and comprised of DNA. For for us as human beings, DNA determines our hereditary characteristics, things like your your eye color, your hair color, whether you have hair or no hair, right? And, And we inherit half of our DNA from our mother, half from our father. And think about this. Every human being on earth has over 3 billion base pairs of DNA in every cell in our body. That's incredible. And DNA, friends, is like a biological software program that's embedded into every cell in our body. Now, what's the problem with DNA when it comes to the naturalistic worldview? Well, friends, DNA is absolutely essential for life to exist. You can't have life without DNA. But here's the catch. DNA can only be produced by life. So you have to ask the question, how, when no life existed... Do complex systems and structures and literally biological software programs like DNA come into existence, absolutely essential for life, but can only be produced by life? This is a huge challenge for the naturalistic worldview. I I was reminded of a, a fun article I came across this past week in the Christian satire site The Babylon Bee. This past week, they had a headline, Devout Atheist Playing Minecraft Patiently Waits for Complex Structures to Build Themselves. (laughs) Friends, even children inherently recognize that whether you're talking video games or buildings or the foundational building blocks of life, that complex structures do not build themselves. See, wherever we see evidence of design, design always points to a designer. In every case, wherever you see evidence of design, we recognize inherently that there is a designer behind it. Let let me share one more example with us this morning. Some of the most remarkable and compelling evidence for design today comes from an argument known as the anthropic principle. And the anthropic principle simply says this the Earth appears to have been fine tuned for life. Do you know that over the last few decades, scientists and astronomers have literally discovered dozens and dozens of astronomical? and physical parameters necessary for life to exist, that, that if any one of them were altered or varied by the, the smallest margin, the smallest degree, life on earth as we know it would be impossible? What, what are we talking about? We're talking about things like the distance of the earth from the sun. or or the Earth's force of gravity, the tilt of the Earth's axis, the the Earth's levels of oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. Scientists tell us that if any of these things were varied by by even minute degrees, life on Earth would cease to exist. And yet we're asked to believe, according to the naturalistic worldview, that all of these very precise, fine-tuned, astronomical, physical parameters just randomly happened by chance friends the characteristics of our world are so perfect so precisely fine-tuned do you know that mathematicians have calculated the odds of all of this happening randomly by chance as being a trillionth of a trillionth of one percent a trillionth of a trillionth of one percent that's the odds of all of this happening by chance in other words friends that's a mathematical impossibility Again, how did this all come about? Is it more logical, rational, and scientific to believe that this world, this universe is all the product of random chance events or that there is an intelligent designer, a creator behind everything that we see? Again, evidence for design points strongly to the reality of a designer. When you begin to understand these things, you can can begin to understand why people like Sir Fred Hoyle Sir Fred Hoyle, who was one of the world's leading astronomers and mathematicians in the 20th century. Sir Fred Hoyle, speaking before the British Academy of Science, once declared this. He says, let's be intellectually honest. We all know that the probability of life arising by chance is the same probability of throwing a six on a dice five million consecutive times. Now friends, I want you to go home from church today and try that this afternoon. All right? Hoyle goes on to say, let's be scientifically honest. We all know that the probability of life arising by chance through evolution is the same probability as having a tornado tear through a junkyard and form out the other end a Boeing 747 jetliner. (laughs) Friends, we all know intuitively that random impersonal chance does not lead to greater organization and complexity but simply to greater disorganization and chaos. Hoyle goes on, he says, A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. Friends, this was one of the 20th century's leading astronomers and mathematicians saying this. Now again, none of this should surprise us because as Christians we know that when you begin to examine the evidence, the evidence points strongly to the reality of the biblical worldview. When you examine the evidence you can understand why the Apostle Paul would say in Romans 1.20 for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Now, friends, I'm just getting warmed up here this morning, but <laughs> the bottom line that I hope to convey and I, and I want for us to understand together this morning is simply this. Christianity is not anti-science Christianity is not anti-science and Christianity is not a religion of blind faith. All right? We're all looking at the same evidence. We're all looking at the same natural world. The question is, does the evidence better point to a naturalistic explanation that all of this happened by chance or a theistic explanation that says we are the result, the handiwork of a master designer? See, I want to encourage you today, especially young people here today, if you are a fan of science, that is a great thing. We need Christians involved in all of the sciences, in biology, in chemistry, in astronomy. Christians need not be afraid of science. When we study science, friends, we are actually looking at God's roadmap, pointing us back to him. All of science is a reflection and a testament to our creator. And if anyone should love science, it should be Christians. I've been passionate about science since I was a young boy. I've loved studying science because as I study science, I get to wonder and marvel at the awesome beauty and power and creativity of our Heavenly Father. To, to engage in science as a Christian is really an act of worship, if you will. As we reflect on the awesome God who made us, the God who loves us, the God we serve. You see, friends, the, the conflict today in our culture is not between Christianity and science. Understand this, the real conflict today is between a naturalistic worldview that says there is no God, we're simply the result of a whole series of random chance events and a theistic worldview that says, there is a creator. There is a God who made us. And if there's one thing I want to, t- to encourage you to take away from this message this morning is simply this: If you get anything from this message this morning, let it be this: You are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are the handiwork of a creator God who made you, a God who made you and has a plan and purpose for your life. A creator God who loved you so very much that he was not content to leave us wandering in our our sin and our rebellion lost, but he took it upon himself to personally reveal himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, so that we could know who he is and what he is like and the the path that leads to life and life to the full and, and more than anything, to know the redemption that's available through him, through the shed blood that Jesus did and gave for us when he went to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Friends, you are not an accident. You are the product of an incredible God who loves you with an incredible love. And I pray that you don't miss out on the joy of knowing him and walking with him and living in that life and life to the full that is found in him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning that we have an opportunity to look at this important subject and to, for for, for just a few minutes, marvel in the incredible truths of who you are as our amazing creator. But Lord, more than the fact that we can trust and and know that there is a creator, God, today we praise you and we thank you that as our creator, you have revealed yourself to us so that we could know you and have a relationship with you so that we could be forgiven of our sins which separate us from you. And Jesus, I pray that none of us here this morning miss out on that amazing offer that offer of new life that is found, that offer of a relationship that is found through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning or if there's anybody watching at home this morning who has wrestled with their self-worth, help them to know today, God, that they are not accidents but that there is a God who made them, who loves them, who desires a relationship with them. Lord, if there's anybody here today or watching online this morning who hasn't put their trust in you as their Savior and Lord, I pray that they might turn to you in faith today and ask you to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them of all their rebellion so that they too can know the joy of walking in a life-giving relationship with you. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your majesty, your glory, your wonder, your power. And we thank you mostly for your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from Romans chapter 1. Paul speaking to the church in Rome. Jason speaking to the church in Lindstrom. To those of you who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you, friends. Have a great week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage. And we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week and we will look forward to seeing you soon.